Hello, everybody. Welcome to my podcast of Trophy Moments and a Few Firsts with me, Keith Baldwin. And I am honored today to have two guests. First time I ever had two guests uh, for a podcast. And they are authors, speakers, awesome people of Brilliantly Resilient. And it's Kristen Smedley and Mary Fran Bontempo. And to introduce you, I want them to tell you how they became so brilliant in being resilient. So let's see, who do I go to first? Kristen can kick it off. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> so what's your story? What were you resilient from? Well, Keith, as you know, life hands you some serious sucker punches all along the way, right? And, and Mary Fran and I were actually, we met in, a, in an entrepreneurship mastermind. I never knew how you met. I wanted to ask that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we met in a mastermind with, um, well... A friend of ours. Yeah, we're like she's a friend of me. We're not sure. <laughs> the fact that she put us together, right? We're like the odd Wait couple. A minute. Yeah. <laughs> but we met in a in a women's entrepreneurship mastermind, and as we were building businesses, we realized that we both had some massive things happen in our lives, and we both had a very similar process to go from me crying on the couch, Mary Fran crying on a in a hospital bench, to raising incredible families, and building businesses that were thriving. So as we got to talk more and more, we were like, man, who are we to sit on this information? And we really went to the core of what all the elements are, and that became Brilliantly Resilient. So what put you on the couch crying? Well, for me, you know, <laughs> I am one of those people that plans, 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 plans everything my whole life, and I set goals. You talk about trophy moments. I was like, <laughs> I was plotting them all out my whole life and then crossing them all off. And my final one, I mean, I had everything I ever planned for, and then I finally became a mom. That was the thing I planned for the most. Twice, right? Twice. You, well, three kids now I have. But, I mean, you had twins, yeah. right? No, I had just, just uh, Michael first. Oh, Michael. Okay. And when Michael was four months old, my perfect little child and I were sitting here in Philadelphia at Children's Hospital where a doctor said, your son is blind. And I, my first question, I'm not all that proud of it, but my first question was, will he play baseball? Because I wasn't <laughs> quite you had sure that of goal. Like, yes, had, yes, I'm thinking baseball. That vision. Eagles, Phillies, you know. Summa cum laude, his wedding, all the things. All and the in things that he moment, couldn't do. It was all the things, all of my dreams crashed to the floor in that moment. So we're going to get back to how you came back from that. What put you on the, where did you have her crying? On a bench. <laughs> on, a, on a bench in a hospital. Um, so my train wreck, we call them su our sucker punches and train wrecks. So my train wreck um, had to, it, it culminated, let's say, on Mother's Day of 2010, when um, I found out that my son was a heroin addict. Wow. So How old was he? He was, uh, oh my gosh, I think he was probably around 21 or 22 at the time, um, maybe a little older than that. I mean, he had always struggled. He, he was always one of these kids who, um, if he hadn't gone over to the dark side, which I really think came from a lack of self-confidence in him and a lack of belief in his own, you know, abilities. He, he didn't think he could be the best at things, so he was going to be the worst. And just through kind of doing what kids do, but unfortunately experimenting with things like oxycodone, mm -hmm. which is wildly, incredibly addictive, this was where he ended up. So I had, uh, we were at my mother's house. I had left the room. Could you have ever imagined? No. I had, 
I'm Marsha Brady. Like, I am Marsha. She was my idol when I was growing up, and I am Marsha Brady. Marsha Brady does not have a heroin addict. In her son. <laughs> However, in the Philly world, in real she life, did. in real life, she did. So anyway, I, I had left the room. Everyone was sitting in. I heard this commotion coming from the other room, and I go back in the room to see David shaking uncontrollably on the couch, and I'm saying, "Stop that!" He said, "I can't." So uh, we called the, the, the ambulance, and they came. They took him to the hospital, and, of course, he wouldn't say. They kept saying to him, what did you take? What did you take? The EMTs. And I'm like, what do you mean, what did he take? He's having a seizure. Get him to the hospital. Well, of course, he wouldn't say anything in he front of us. He's scared to death, of course. Um, and he was, But he was also still being manipulative at the time because he didn't. Addicts are very manipulative. Uh, I'm are. not saying mm. anything that's news to anybody no. who doesn't know that. Um, <clears throat> but... Long story short, we got him to the hospital, and the doctor said he had overdosed on a medication because he couldn't get heroin that day on a medication that he had stolen from his grandmother that was very high in acetaminophen. And the consequence of that was that his liver had the potential to shut down. And they said, look, if we can't reverse this, he's going to need a liver transplant if he lives. So that was my my train wreck moment. Thank God. The next day, I slept that whole night on a little two-seat hospital bench on Mother's Day. I should be, you know, eating chocolates and Mm. opening macaroni necklaces and stuff. But um, the next day, the doctor said we were able to reverse it. And that was when I got mad. So So let's fast forward. So now you've been sucker punched. How did you become resilient, brilliantly speaking? Well, I'll tell you what, Keith. For me, I would... Love to take all the credit, but it was actually my Michael at three and a half years old that pushed me into being brilliantly resilient. Because as you mentioned, I had a second son. Yes. That, was, that's why I thought they were twins. Yeah. He's also blind, right? Spoiler alert. <laughs> yes, he is. And here's the thing. I was eight months pregnant with Mitch, my second one. And I, at the time when Michael was diagnosed, they said I had a 25% chance of another happening, Right. And I was like, oh, one in four, already have the one. They were like, no, each pregnancy. And now, look, I was a math major in college. I mean, I, was, I won the math award in second grade. You were a teacher? Yes, and I was a teacher. So I was like, I was also the delirious optimist. So I'm like, 25% chance, ah, come on, right? So then by eight months, I was having my most ugliest day ever because I thought, you know, math major showed up that day and said, uh, Kristen, 75%, like, that's not that big. 25% is huge that this could happen again. And I was at my ugliest of ugly cries. I couldn't even get out of, fully out of my bed that morning, sitting there with my belly growing and growing. And with Michael, when I was pregnant with, with him, my dreams for him were growing and growing as my belly grew, right? With Mitch, my fear, my stress, and my worry was growing and growing. God forbid I was going to have a second one affected. And at the moment where I was at my lowest, I, I could hear Michael coming down the hallway to my bedroom. And, and at three and a half, my Michael didn't walk. My Michael bounced and skipped <laughs> and sprung his way through every day. He was so stinking happy. He didn't know that was a disability, did he? Not at all. Because he said to me, he came in and he said, Mommy, isn't this the best day ever? And I thought, you know what, I've... I, I used to be embarrassed to say this, but I will say it now for people that are struggling, especially parents, when things aren't going your way and you think the world is up against your child. 
I thought about it, and I thought to Michael, you have no idea how much this is not the best day. You're going to have a worse day. Every day is the worst day. Everything you're missing. And I said to him, Michael, why is this the best day? He said, Mommy, the sun is shining, and I have all my toys, and I'm just so happy. And he literally spun around, bounced back to his perfect day. And I thought, you know, from that till that point, every single day for three and a half years, every night I prayed blindness away. And every morning I was angry because it was still there. And all I prayed for, for blindness to go away. And I'm telling you in that moment, my blindness was cured. I stopped seeing Michael's life for what my dreams were for him. The best thing that ever happened to my kids was my dreams were gone. Because then I got to say, you know what? He made you see the possibilities. Yeah, and he made me see that his life is about him. And I was, I was just to be his guide on the side. And I said, I have no idea how you're going to do what you're going to do. I didn't know any blind people at that point. But I said, you know what? I'm going to get you what you need, and I'm going to follow your lead. And I'll hold on to where, where Michael's at right now. We'll reveal that later. <laughs> what got you off the bench crying? Well, once. What was your moment? Once My moment was the doctor saying he made it through. And as I said, that's when I got angry. Not so much at David, but at myself. Because I had spent years leading up to this making best friends with distraction and denial. You know, you see a problem and you see the train coming towards you, but with addicts, like I said, very manipulative, he, he kind of could sense almost that I, that I was about to say something's wrong, we're going to do something about this. And then all of a sudden, we'd have some peaceful weeks, and he'd be like, you know, Mom, it's really been hard for me, but I'm, I'm okay, everything's good now. And I'd go, all right, now I don't have to worry about that. So I would deny that there was a problem, and then I would distract myself with whatever else came along in life so that I didn't have to face what I knew Did you know in, in your my gut? heart yeah. was wrong. I just, I you just, Your motherly start. instinct, you knew. Of course. Yeah. Everybody who, said, who has an act, they know. You know. You, you have to trust your instincts. It's so easy for us to talk ourselves out of problems because who wants them? Yeah. You were hoping against hope. Exactly. But... At that moment, I was like, okay, distraction and denial. Bye-bye. Like, <laughs> showing you the door. And you dug in. And I dug in. And I said to my son, because, of course, he was fighting me still. Because he course. figured, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go home and keep on doing what I've been doing. Yeah. And I, I, a bus happened to be going by in his hospital room. And I said to him, you have two choices. You can either go to rehab, because i got it all ready for you. I, we're, we're, you're getting in the car and going. Or you can get out that bus, get on that bus out there, go to one of your so-called friends' houses. Of course, he had none because he was a mess. Right. And I'll get you your stuff. He got in the car. God bless you. Tough, tough love. It, 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 you know what? I didn't have any choice. He could have died. And the next time, he very well might have. So I didn't have a choice. So before I get into my questions, I want to wrap it up. So where are your blind children now? And then I'm going to ask, where is your son now? Um, well, um, I should mention that one of the things I was so upset about was in the blind community, it's a 70% unemployment rate. Because people just have this bias against what can possibly happen. Michael, last year, a year and a half ago, graduated Penn State University, summa cum laude. It was one of my dreams, and I had never amazing? told him. <laughs> summa cum laude, two majors, two minors, and a business law certificate. He's now working his dream job in Disney World. He lives in Orlando. And Mitch is a junior, 
In Mitch, college. we just heard all about you off, off air, by the way. <laughs> and I got to meet you. I Mitch, love you. Mitch is my entertainment. <laughs> he's definitely the entertainment. He's, he's at uh, his junior year in college in the honors program with two hit radio shows and does the sideline reporting for the football games. And, and I should mention, too, that I did have a third child who happens to be sighted. Carissa just started college, and she's on a full ride for basketball. Yeah, she's an awesome athlete. I, I, can, I follow you on Facebook. And also, they're, they're the inspiration to her new book, What I Can Be is Up to Me, and it is in Braille. And print. And print. It's for all children to read the same book. Thank you. She gave it to me to give to my grandchild, which I will. And Mary Fran. So David is uh, clean and sober 12 years now. He just celebrated his 12th soberversary, <laughs> as those of us in the business <laughs> call it. His 12th soberversary. He has uh, three beautiful children, a lovely wife, beautiful home, uh, his own business, where he works with recovery centers who are looking for um, uh, staffing clinicians, nurses, therapists, all those kind of things. For a kid who swore he didn't want to be anything like his parents or his father, he has the same business that my <laughs> husband has. He's a headhunter in that particular field. Um, and he's also still very active in the recovery field, as am I, because n nobody can know what this feels like unless you've been through it. And when mothers come up against this and fathers, they're so desperate. And sometimes they don't want to hear what I have to say to them. But they need to hear what I have to say to them because they have to stop being friends with distraction and denial too. So it's all good. Awesome. So I'm going to come remind me at the end because I want to uh, promote your podcast and all the things you're doing, the speaking. Um, but I got to get to my questions mm -hmm. for what the trophy moments of your lives are. And then I'm going to ask you about a few first. So what's the first trophy, the most important trophy? What, what accomplishment that you got recognized for? that just resonated with you and meant so much to you, and why? Can I have two? Because I kind of had two. Hold it. Are there any rules here? <laughs> and All the right. second one literally you... just came to me. The first one, I would have to say, I was a kid for both of these. And the first one was I had entered a writing contest. I didn't win, but I got honorable mention for a funny piece that I had written about trying on shoes or whatever and some shoe store man trying to make a shoe fit me when it didn't when I was a kid and I'm like this doesn't feel right oh what are your toenails too long and I'm like dude you know, did you I'm, know this uh -uh. No, in my head, I'm thinking dude I've got, I'm six years old so I that was the first one but did you get a certificate or anything I got a certificate for honorable go. mention so that was kind of my trip because as Kristen you don't well still have knows, it, do you? I, no, I don't. But as Kristen well knows, sports are definitely not my thing. So this was my yeah. version of sports. You know, sports for me are turning the pages of a book. So that was like my, my first thing in writing. And then when I was a kid still, um, I was asked to be the MC, quote unquote, for a little Girl Scout thing. And those people gave me a microphone. That and how, how, how old? I think I was no older than 10. And they gave me a microphone, and I emceed this thing. So I guess that was the birth of my two loves, writing and speaking. How about that? Did you, didn't, did you know that one, too? No. No? All the hours we have spent I together. I right, you would think. <laughs> well, no one has asked me that question before. And yeah. it really brought up something that was very way back it was in deep. the vault. Yeah, it was way back in the vault. 
So that obviously had an impact on where you are today. Oh, d- completely. I, and I think it speaks to everybody who, when you love something, find some way to work it into your life. Yeah, yeah. So what's your trophy moment? And I was thinking of one professionally, but I will say, you know, given thought to, to how my life has unfolded, and um, as Mary Fran said, I was a, a big sports person. I was lifelong soccer. I still try to get out there and kick the soccer ball. It's just not as pretty. Did you play? <laughs> yeah, I played all through college and then post-college. What, what position? Well, I was a right wing growing up because I wanted my name in the paper scoring the goals. <laughs> By the time I got to college, we're like, yeah, you're moving to midfield. I'm like, that's, that's all the running and half the glory. <laughs> but but you have to have good foot skills to be in that position, and you got to be pretty fast. And Yeah, I was, I was quite the sprinter, which is, you know, I think that was like a big life lesson. Move to the midfield and, and make it a little more of a marathon, Kristen. Not everything can be a sprint, but I tend to still make everything a sprint. <laughs> But I actually played softball, too. And this came up. I was just um, at the – I was so blessed. I was inducted into my high school wall of fame. Look at this. And I didn't know you were a hall of famer. How about that? <laughs> well, actually, it's wall of fame. It's for lifetime achievement. When they called me, I was like – I turn 52 tomorrow. And I go, I don't think I'm old enough for this. <laughs> How old do you think I am? I know I'm from the 1900s. That's the new thing. The kids are like, kids you're from the 1900s. <laughs> But anyway, so when I was in fifth grade, our softball team won the first ever championship for our school, right? And we beat, oh, we beat a team that was such a trash talking, you know. <laughs> they were from the big single homes and I was from Ben Salem, right? And I was like, but we, it was, and that was one of the greatest moments. But it was the next year when I was a pitcher, my best friend was a pitcher, she moved up. To, to varsity, and I stayed, my dad was coaching and wanted me to stay on JV because he's like, Kristen, the team needs a leader. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're moving up to varsity because that's more prestigious. A sixth grader on varsity is a bigger deal. And he was like, the team needs leadership, and you need to still develop as a leader. So you can imagine how furious I was, right? <laughs> and I was in a game one night, and we were, I was pitching, and we were just getting destroyed. They were getting hit after hit. And I'm looking at my dad like, Pull the plug. Get me out of this. And my dad walked up to the pitcher's mound. And my dad grew up in a, in a horrible situations in Kensington. And then he was in the he's, – he's a man that I've learned my positivity from because he's a man that says that the thing that saved his life was going over to Vietnam. Hmm. And he came back and knew he wanted a whole different life for, for the family he was going to raise. So we were blessed to, to move out of the city and up to, to Bucks County. But at any rate, so this was a man that was working three jobs, coaching as many of my teams as he could. He had no spare time for anything else, right? And here I am destroying this game. So he walks to me, and my dad has one of those personalities where he doesn't have to say a word. You know exactly what he's thinking. And the disappointment in his face, it was crushing. I was like, Dad, you got to get me out of this game. And he was like, no, I don't. Here's, here's your biggest life lesson. You're going to live through it right now. You're trying to win this all by yourself. And you've got a team of all this talent behind you, but you're being so hard-headed. You're trying to throw this ball that no one can hit. He said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to throw things that every single person can swing at and connect with, and then you're going to leave it to your team to use their talents to get us through this game. And I'm telling you, Keith, every time I come to a situation, I mean, I've built two nonprofits that I have no business. I mean, one is vision research. I built a team of people 
because I had no idea what I was doing. I knew where my strengths were, and I got us from no one's ever heard of us to the floor of the FDA in six years for the first ever cure for blindness. Because of that moment on the pitcher's mound, when my dad said, stop trying to win it all by yourself. It only took me, I'm 65, it took me into my 60s to learn that lesson in business. I was trying to do it all by myself. And we're more successful now because I'm not. Yeah. It's an, it's an incredible lesson. The tribe lesson means that you're, a lot. The tribe means a lot. Yeah. And so that's a pillar point of brilliant and resilient yeah. is the tribe. I mean, you can't, you got to know your strengths and then find those people that have the ones you don't. Yep. And honestly, I know we have to be a part of all the facets of the business early on. But when we, especially, I mean, we're a, a two-woman team. Mary Fran has talents that I could never dream of having. Let her have, like, she can take it and run with it, you know? Why am I going to try to You mean you're not going to do, do research that? for your guests coming on to your podcast? She's a very good script writer. <laughs> Why would I try to shoot at that mic? You're just going to wing it. <laughs> oh, wing it and fill in stories. She'll highlight a couple of things. Okay. I, I'll give her that. Listen, I always make sure we're in good lighting for pictures. She does. Ultimately, I can't do that. So, again. Her brilliance, not mine. And it's a good thing that we have this table here because we have, what is it, summer shoes? And, uh, hey, now. <laughs> I don't have a stylist, and I was working all, all on my own today. It almost ran out. I'm so, used to being, I'm so used to being on Zoom and on podcasts where it's just head, shoulders, no knees and toes. did we do that we were just like from here up on oh. our show? And, and by the way, you were a guest on our show. So thank you very much. I'm just trying to repay the favor. How many po- podcast shows have you done? I actually just put episode 182 in the in the but but I will say some of those are greatest hits that yeah. we have we do you know rerun shows that for whatever reason resonate again yeah you know depending on what's happening so it could be a topic it could be something that's happening in the world it could be something that we're going through again and want to kind of drive home the point that hey this is something you all have to know about we're not the only ones saying that. That's what we always say. Like, there's, it's not just us. There are guests who say the exact same thing we do through their own life circumstances. So I want to give you a shameless plug. Where can we find the Brilliantly Resilient Book? Podcast. The podcast is on all Everywhere. podcast platforms. Okay, so you, you just, just, go, just search it and you'll yep, find it. You'll find it. It's, we've got it all over the place. And we do have the book, Brilliantly Resilient, um, which is on Amazon. And we've got, I think, a pretty fantastic website at brilliantlyresilient.net. Oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. Good. And actually, we like all of our programs and stuff come with supplemental materials that we call work ish book. We don't do a lot of work. <laughs> so, like, the book work. is a less than four minute read. We actually were a bestseller because we were a less than less four than minute read. It took me less more than two hours. Than two it took hours, me yeah. more than four minutes less to read your book. I'm, I'm a little I slow. Meant four hours, but it's <laughs> only two hours. It's two hours. I've been standing in my summer shoes too long. I'm going to ask about your first because we've got some, a little bit of time left. And what is something that you've always wanted to do and haven't done yet that you would love to do? And maybe you'll find time to do it or find a way to do it. Okay, so I'm going to get a little philosophical with this question because I think one of the – well, first of all, one of the things that I really want to do is drive into Center City and park my car without being terrified. That's that, – that, that, <laughs> That, if I could achieve that goal, I would give myself a trophy. So there's that. But Were you terrified today? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. We're at the I Pyramid could, Club here in I'll Center City, what, Philadelphia. I could get up and talk to 20,000 people in five minutes. Do you give me five minutes? I'll do it. You tell me to drive into the city, park my car. I'm like, oh, my God. Anyway, so that's that would be that. Would be that. <laughs> well, it's not a first because you did it. Then. I did it. So now it's not a first. I'm not afraid but to I'm drive. I'm terrified, so I don't want to yeah. be terrified. I'm not terrified to drive my Jeep. I just love it. I don't like the way people almost hit it here <laughs> all <laughs> the almost, time. Yeah, right, right on your bumper. <laughs> Center City, Philadelphia. You've got to love it. But I think for me, as I said, I'm going to get a little philosophical here because what I really want to do is get the expansive mindset that I think I should have and want, where I am, I am always open to something new, always open to learning something new and trying something new because I still have a lot of those, you know, those fears? kind of fears. Yeah, and at a certain age, you kind of got to learn to let go of that. And I guess that's where my question comes from, you know, doing the book of mm-hmm. first, a leap year first, it helped me with that. It, it got me over those fears and you just got into a mindset of trying different things. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, why I asked so the that's question. It. That, that just, that, just to really have that more expansive so, uh, mindset. Then I want to ask you, what is one fear that you have that you want to overcome, that you want to do? Uh, I would love Besides to, tra- I would love to tra- well, I'd love to travel. But One place. I've never What's Italy. My favorite trip in the world. I've got an itinerary for you. Oh, nice! I can't wait, and I am learning. They do know how to live life there. I'm starting to learn Italian on Duolingo. On really? Yeah. Oh, I, that's well, fun. I, I'm boning up on my French. I've got a, a 180 some day streak already. No, 200 and some day streak on my French. So now I'm picking up Italian too. I'm That'd be on an that. awesome first. It would be cool. And your first that you'd like to do something you've never done and. Well, my first actually stems from somebody asked me last year-ish, what is something that if, if you were on your dying day, you would regret you never did? And it's getting the major motion picture of Michael's baseball career in Northampton Township as the only blind player to ever take the field, getting those two seasons, back-to-back seasons, as a film. Because it's a story that people need to know. I mean, he went from... Do you hear that, audience? Is there anybody out there that want to contact her and Seriously, Michael for a and I, script? We and... started working on the script, writing it together, because I need to get his point of view sure. on certain key moments in, in the film. But when I tell you we went from scared, talk about fear. You walk into a baseball registration day in the Philadelphia area. People say Disney World is the happiest place on earth. No, registration day for baseball is. And you have a nine-year-old with a white cane in his hand. And the commissioner, and they're like, are you joking me? Well, the commissioner came up and said, are you looking for the Miracle League? It's a wonderful program. I said, it's a, I don't know if you know about Miracle League. It's a phenomenal program. I said, yeah, Michael wants to volunteer. He wants to play for the Little League team of Northampton. In the, in the league, not that we weren't asking for the travel teams or anything like that. And then I had to walk up to the practice, the first practice, all those parents looking at me like, You're crazy. not our team. Yeah. You know, but I will say this. We went from scared to death. And Michael was just going to get out there and do it. Had a couple of hard conversations. When you tell a nine-year-old that the reasonable accommodation is hitting off a tee, not swinging at pitches, that was, that's one of the key moments in this movie that was life-changing. And Michael had to agree to hit off a tee, even though no other nine-year-old on the planet was hitting off a tee. And he had to play the outfield with a guy. But let me tell you, so anyone that's doing Could youth sports. Could you hear sports, the bat and kind of 
get a direction of where it's going? Was he to that degree? Well, think about youth sports. The parents drive you crazy, right? All <laughs> I, that noise I, I, and I've yelling. I've been a coach. I understand. But I, I'll tell I, you what. You want to you wanna shut some parents down? Get a blanket on your team because especially in baseball, when Michael, when they fielded, the guy, the other guy would field the ball, his partner. Okay. Michael had a role, though. The, the partner had to give it to Michael. And then one guy would call his name wherever the play was to be that he had to throw it to, and everyone had to shut up. So Michael could throw it to him on a dime. He could be in left field. Do you have pictures of this? Or do you have a video? Have pictures and video, yeah. I'd love to see a video. Yeah, I have somebody actually working on a trailer for, to get the funding for it because we've got a producer in L.A. that's ready to go. But the thing is, we went from bad news bears like, like nightmare. They couldn't even get a coach, so they had Northampton cops that were like 24 years old coaching the team you want to see something hilarious with nine-year-old boys right nine ten eleven year olds and the cops i'm like maybe you shouldn't have the holsters on like <laughs> and they were like for some of these kids maybe we need them but i still i see the the coaches every now and again at a big event that that i do with a friend for all the police out in bucks county but at any rate we went from from the bad news bears right with with they were a mess and the only blind kid to ever play and lost every game until in that, in that league, they get a play-in option. You get one last chance, and that's the game that we win. Really? And then we were winning and kept winning because it was one game elimination, and we get all the way to the championship. And in three extra innings, our Orange Mets win the game. Wow. And I the, got chills. There you go, folks. <laughs> I'll tell you what. And the dad, the dad that was like the, the big, like his kid was the pitcher, and they were really good, and they were like famous for sports in our town. He came up to me after the championship win, and he said, Kristen, he's this real big guy, and he stood over me. He said, Kristen, when you showed up with a kid, with a blind kid on this team, I thought, no freaking way. He's like, and one by one, your kid changed all of our kids, and the entire community is better for it. And I'm telling you, the whole community was there that day to see that championship game. That is a movie. It's, it's a story that has to be out there because it's this one kid that everybody thought something completely different changed every single one of them how they looked at things so i can't wait to, to see your pictures from italy <laughs> and i can't wait to see the movie and i gotta thank you both from the bottom of my heart what great guests i i'm honored to have you here thank you very much is there anything else that you'd like to say to you to my audience as we close you know what everybody has brilliance and resilience within them it's it's innate don't, don't live with distraction and denial. Find your own brilliance and share it with the world. You got it. It's in there. Yeah, and you know what? I think the biggest lesson, too, is, is when things happen, stop thinking about how they should be and leave space for what could be. That's a great way to end this. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thank Keith. You. Thank Good you. luck with the show. It's going to be Thank awesome. You. Good.